It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Crossover week. It looks like we are going to survive, Sky. I think it was the most casual crossover week I've ever experienced. In what way? What do you mean? Like, not as late of nights, not multiple late nights in a row. Committees were scheduled with plenty of time notice. I think I remember in not 2019, maybe 2017, it would be like 8.30 and you would get a committee notice for 8.45. And so I just think that it felt a little more organized this year. Okay, I can see that. There are differences between the House, though, and the Senate, right? If I mean, the Senate, crossover there just seems like regular. It's another week. It's another week, right? Yeah. And then in the House, we're, last night, uh, we're, we're actually recording this on Wednesday. There's a break between committees and, and session today. So we're crossover eve, which is really crossover day. Last night we were in the House Rules Committee. There were 60-some bills. And people are asking, why is the Senate more efficient, I guess is a good word, versus the House? I think something that you hear a lot of folks say and feels to be true I can't say that it is true, but the Senate starts at no and you have to get them to yes versus the House starts at yes and you can get them to no. Yeah, and you know, not to mention it's a, it's a matter of numbers. There's 50 senators. There are 120 House members. It seems to me, though, the culture of the House, and this has been the case for a while, the culture of the House is you've got your members and they've got an important piece of legislation that they want passed. And whether the Senate's going to take it or not, up or not is, is not the point. But, okay, we're going to help you get this bill through committee. Senate side seems to have <laughs> these... Um, kind of rules, right? They have the, we're not going to hear these kinds of bills. And, and if, if, you're, if, if there's a member that wants the bill passed, well, sorry, it doesn't fit into our agenda. Yeah, the Senate operates on their philosophy and things that are outside of that philosophy don't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to see uh, the House uh, was in session till pretty late last night. I think we were there past 10 o'clock. And then the Senate, they were done at dinner time. Yep. Even though House members tend to get their bills through and we see hundreds of bills coming out, we have seen a lot of bills change in committee in order to make them pass the House. Maybe the caucus has an issue with it. Maybe the leadership, maybe even the votes aren't there for the bill. So we're seeing a lot of PCSs and amendments that are kind of diluting bills down. And there is a strategy to this, right? You're at crossover. Crossover is just all about surviving into the next round. If you don't get through crossover, you're dead. But if you want to get over to the other chamber and you want to remain alive for the biennium, sometimes you use this strategy, right? Yeah, I was just saying to you that in rules, there were a couple of bills that were on a committee calendar this morning, and they then became study committees. And that's a classic crossover strategy. Make it a study committee instead of whatever your bill wanted to be. 
And that's just a way to make sure that it'll pass, like you said, make it more palatable to the whole caucus, um, whether it's the Republican or the Democratic caucus, and then be able to get that over to the other side and make your changes on the other side. You hear a ton that there are some issues with this bill. We'll work them out after crossover. Just pass it now. Um, And so that is sort of a strategy that appears to be used a lot. We, we are working with Representative Carson Smith. He represents Pender County and Columbus County, former sheriff down in Pender County. We're working with him on a law enforcement bill that uh, gives law enforcement some tools to be able to crack down on animal fighting. And this is, a, it was as filed, it's House Bill 544, as filed, good bill, give law enforcement the tools. But we did have some concerns from some different interests out there. And as crossover got closer and closer, Representative Smith said, I am going to pare this down to its bare essence. And he said it in committee yesterday. He said, here's the PCS in front of you. It's an easy bill for you to vote for. I want you to know. When this bill goes over to the Senate, my plan is to load it back up with the language that law enforcement needs to be able to crack down on animal fighting. And it was an interesting strategy. But, you know, one of the things, Sky, is that your client can can feel a lot of disappointment when they see this great bill that they're celebrating. It gets pared down, even if it's temporary. It is a disappointment. We got a few questions this week. Because of the number of committee meetings going on, lots of bills flying through, there were a lot of questions about parliamentary procedure. Some folks kind of pulled us aside in the snack bar or off the floor as we were hanging out with other lobbyists, and they were telling us interesting things. They were seeing some some new lobbyists had, had a few questions. One of them was this issue, and we were not in this committee, by the way. It was the House Judiciary Three Committee. There is a law enforcement bill that will allow rank-and-file police officers to blow the whistle on what they see as unethical or even illegal activity from their higher-ups. Controversial bill. This bill, Sky, it seems like... Way back. Yeah, way back. Every biennium it comes up. So the bill is before the committee. And the advocates that are, are trying to promote this bill said a vote was taken. And they thought they had lost the vote. But the chairperson... David Rogers, Representative David Mm -hmm. Rogers, who chairs Judiciary 3, called it for the bill to pass. And they thought, we lost, but hey, this is a good thing, right? The chairman ruled in our favor. And then a Democrat, I think it was Representative Terry Brown down in Charlotte, called for division. Can you tell us what division is? Division is a specific count of who voted I or no. So on a regular vote, in a committee you just have a voice vote and so your general procedure is those who vote aye vote aye those who vote no no and whichever one is louder is the one that you would assume won and when you either can't hear who won clearly or you think that it might have gone the other way 
someone can call for division. And it's generally right after the vote. It has to be pretty quick calling for division. And either you raise your hands or stand up and they count the votes specifically. So the chair has incredible power. First, they get to kind of call the voice vote, whether they whether they hear more yeses, hear more noes. The chairperson said more yeses he heard. That's debatable. But then when Representative Brown called for division, he told Representative Brown, you called it too late. Again, power in the chair of the committees at the General Assembly. This is something that in years past of crossover, you would see more when they're trying to push through a bill that maybe doesn't have the votes, where it would be very clear that a bill had more no votes than yes votes. And the chair's like, sorry, the eyes have it. We're out. So House Bill 7, which is this whistleblower bill, leaves Judiciary 3. It goes to the Rules Committee. Now, you and I were in the Rules Committee last night. Mm -hmm. Again, Representative Bobby Hannock, who is one of the bill sponsors, presents the bill. There is a vote. And this time, Chairman Destin Hall, he calls for the vote and he hears more yeses than noes. But Minority Leader Robert Reeves, who sits on the Rules Committee, calls for division. So again, on the same bill. I think he called for division before the vote was even taken. Interesting. Interesting move, right? So you could call it right after the vote, but you probably should say, Mr. Chair, on this vote, I'd like to call division. Right. So there's a lot of back and forth. There's so many folks on WebEx. They're trying to figure out how to call for division. It looks as if the vote is going to go down, right? It's going to go down. But in walks Majority Leader John Bell, who sits on the Rules Committee, and just as they're calling the roll for all the legislators to see if they're voting aye or no, John Bell comes in, and they call John Bell's name out, and he says, here. (laughs) (laughs) Walking into the middle of this vote. So committee's happening, Majority Leader John Bell and Chairman Destin Hall kind of have a caucus. Representative Bill sits down. He votes for the bill. It was 10-10, and then the clerk looks up at Chairman Hall and says, Chairman Hall, you need to vote. Oh, that's right, because his chair was going to be the tiebreaker. So Bell put it in a position to break the tie. We notice that Representative Bell goes over and he talks to the Sheriff's Association. The sheriffs are opposed to this bill, by the way. It's just a classic battle down the General Assembly. And then we hear later, so the, the rules committee adjourns. We hear later in the evening, and this comes from the advocates, by the way. They're telling us that the bill has been pulled from the House floor. Right. So this morning, we go back over to the General Assembly and the advocates who are, who are trying to get House Bill 7 tell us it's been put back on the agenda. Interesting process here in Crossover Week. Yeah, we heard from them. They said, we don't know how this is going to go on the floor. So we think that that'll be an interesting vote this afternoon. Yeah, we'll be looking for that. Also an interesting procedural move today in rules that I don't think I've ever heard before was that there was a bill that they passed out of rules last night. And last night they passed like 65-ish bills out of rules in like an hour and 10 minutes. So they were flying through bills and house rules last night. And generally they would say the bill number and that bill sponsor would say it's a good bill for a motion. 
and there was no discussion on almost every single bill that was in rules last night. So there wasn't a lot of debate, only on a couple bills. And so it's probably something that nobody was really looking at. Today, Chairman Hall said this bill was not properly before us last night. Members did not have the bill in front of them, so that vote is void. Maybe we'll take that up at a later time. Yeah, and it's an occupancy tax bill, so it has a fee in it. It has a tax, so it's not subject to crossover. Anytime you appropriate money or raise taxes or lower taxes, it's it's eligible to survive for the biennium. We got a question this week from our colleague, Christy Jones. She was down at the General Assembly with us, and a bill that was sponsored by Representative Larry Pittman failed on the House floor and therefore went on the unfavorable calendar. And she had a lot of questions. This is something she's relatively new at the General Assembly as a day-to-day lobbyist. And she, she said, well, what is going on? What is this unfavorable calendar? This is a bill that comes up every biennium, generally passes the House and doesn't go anywhere in the Senate. Uh, to your earlier point, but this bill would increase the penalty on someone who is boating under the influence. There is a specific instance in his district where someone was killed by a drunk boater, and so there is some passion on that side of that bill, but there were folks arguing back and forth on the Republican side on that particular bill, and ultimately it failed. Yeah, a rare move. Usually these things are worked out behind closed doors. If there aren't the votes, then usually the bill sponsor has the bill pulled. I just assume that Representative Pittman said, no, I'm moving forward with my bill. And if it fails, it fails. But it was, it did make for a lot of questions for those who haven't been around the General Assembly to see a lot of bills fail. This week, we sat down with Senator Danny Britt from Robison and Columbus Counties. He spoke to us about the way he approaches legislation, how he works across the aisle, and some of his priorities. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Britt, welcome to the podcast. You are in your third term as a state senator. Can you tell us a little bit about your district? So my district is Robinson and Columbus County. Uh, Very, very rural, very um, driven by agro industry. We used to have a lot of manufacturing down in our district. A lot of that has left uh, since NAFTA. There was kind of a vacuum. Uh, A lot of the agro that business that we had with tobacco left after the big tobacco lawsuit. So we've got a uh, issue with getting businesses. We've got an issue with our economy. Um, We do have a a very proud people who love where they live, love where they stay, and love southeast North Carolina. Uh, Robinson County is the most racially diverse county in the entire state. Also has the highest population below the poverty level in the Mm -hmm. entire state. And, uh, of course, my district is 67% registered Democrat. Uh, a lot of that's changing. Of course, I was the first Republican ever elected to anything 
uh, to run countywide in Robinson County and the first senator ever elected in the history of uh, the state um, wow. in Robinson County or Columbus County. The voter registration being what it is, no one can figure out how you're doing this. Well, I mean, mathematically, you look at it and say there's no way this guy can win with the numbers he wins by. And quite frankly, I, I work real hard. Mm-hmm. I know my district. I know the people in my district. And most of our issues are not on the partisan divide, though we do have some. Uh, and, and those issues that we do have on the partisan divide, Columbus and Robinson County are very conservative. We have very strong religious values. Uh, we have folks that are very strong supporters of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. And as far as, as, far as uh, us being a Democrat district, it's, it's more so in registration and number. And simply, we had so many people running as Democrats for so long, it was almost convincing people that it's okay to vote for a Republican if he believes the way you do was part of the hard thing about running the first time. But then also, many of those Democrats who don't believe the way I do on everything, um, being responsive to their issues and their needs as well, and being able to work across party aisles in Robinson and Columbus County, and not just being strictly partisan on everything, and trying to put my district first. And sometimes those district needs don't line up with where the party's at. I see. And when you say work hard, you're the guy who's out in a Johnny boat in hurricane season, literally pulling families out of their homes. I mean, that's a, that's incredible. Well, you know, there, there was a group of us that whenever Hurricane Matthew hit, especially a lot of folks did not know how to respond. Everybody was kind of shocked. And, you know, we didn't have any power. You know, it wasn't a whole lot I could do around the house. My family was good, but there were other folks that weren't. And uh, myself, many of my friends and other people uh, who, who may not have got the same attention that I did doing it, um, other people just kind of, you know, grabbed their boots and went to work to help the community. You were on a recent WREL interview with Sky. You guys were talking about legislation you passed in the last biennium. And you said you have two kinds of folks back home, one that wants you to come here and, and tow the party line. Some want you to work across the aisle. H- how do you kind of please both camps there? Um, that's, a, that's a difficult question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it just it, it becomes a mix between, um, one, doing what I think the majority of my citizens believe I should do and what I deep down believe I should do. Okay. And, and I think with every issue, the first thing that every good representative looks at is what is best for my district and the majority of citizens in my district, no matter what party they're in. And then does this legislation help them? Does this legislation move anything forward for my people in my district, despite rather it's a party line or not? And. Uh, some of the things they do and some of the things they don't, but it's just simply finding that balance between, you know, what the party line is versus what's best for my district, my people, and then sticking to my own values as well. You have run a ton of substantive legislation. I think your first term, everyone was talking about how many bills your name was on. Can you talk about how you have chosen bills and also maybe what your greatest accomplishment is so i try to stick to what i know 
Um, I, I think one of the benefits that we have as members of the General Assembly is we can lean on folks who are expertise in their field. We have Senator Raven, who's a veterinarian. We have um, uh, Senator Todd Johnson, who works in insurance. Senator Vicki Sawyer, who works in insurance. Uh, we have folks who were former educators that we could lean on. And I think it's important to be able to lean on the strengths of those people who not only know and understand the legislation that you're moving through, but more importantly, understand the practical impact of that legislation. So for myself, I've tried to stick to criminal justice reform. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff for independent pharmacists, and a lot of that's been working with a close friend of mine back home who is an independent pharmacist. But for the most part, what I try to stick to is criminal justice reform because my career has been that of a private practice attorney for uh, 13 years and a prosecutor for five. Mm -hmm. So criminal justice, the criminal justice system, juvenile justice, abuse and neglect dependency court, civil court. I mean, those are things I know about. Those are things I know practically what we need to change, what we need to work on and how, how that legislation is going to impact the practitioners and also more importantly, the people that that legislation impacts. So through my first session, I tried to focus on that and have tried to more laser focus each session after my first session. My first session, I had a bunch of ideas and every time I'd have an idea, I'd be like, you know what, this is so great. I can file a bill and fix this problem. And some of those bills became law, some of them didn't. But for every bill, it sprouted because I had an idea. Most of the time, something I was dealing with in real life application that I said, hey, I can fix this to make this better for somebody. So. I would file a bill and see it through and work on it, and that's where I got most of my bills and my bills ideas from and where I got my legislative approach from, I guess. So with Senate Bill 300, um, that was just in rules this morning. It, I think that it's like 27 pages, and you have been championing this process um folks were standing up saying they commended you how have you gone about working across the aisle on that specific piece of legislation so to start with with most any legislation that affects our criminal justice system just like the expunction bills that i worked on the second chance act last session uh, some of the victims right bills that you and i worked on together last session i try to make contact with the Police Chiefs Association, Sheriff's Association, Conference of DAs, Police Benevolent Association. So we've got a representative from all those spectrums of folks that would be impacted practically mm -hmm. with how this legislation would take place. I sit them down in the room and I say, okay, you guys all have a, a vested interest in the end result of this bill. So I want y'all to sit down and come up with legislation that you can all support. Here are the concepts in scope that I support. This is the policy I support. This is the draft that bill drafting has given me. You guys sit down and figure out what works best for you. And then I reach out to some of the other advocacy groups with that same legislation, ACLU, Americans for Prosperity, John Locke Foundation, and have them sit down and give the same input. And I try to always, if there's a member of the other party who comes to me and says, hey, I want to talk to you about this bill, uh, I take time to sit down with them right then. I don't put it off, say, okay, what's your issue? What do you want to change? Let's see what we can tweak on this. And very little things in legislation as it moves through the process can't be worked on to a certain extent where you can re can't reach a compromise. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Sidney Batch on a couple of the bills that I've had has sat down and had some great ideas on things 
that made the bill better. And some of the things were things I'd thought of before, but maybe they didn't make that product that she had seen yet. But I've tried to sit down with her, uh, Senator Fitch and Senator Muhammad, who also work in those areas like I do, and get their feedback because obviously when you're working on this bill and it's going to be voted on by everyone, it is so much better to get that compromise up front before the bill starts making it through the process than to have those debates and those battles that may stop this good law from becoming law in the process. Something else you do, though, I mean, and you, you listed these Democratic senators. Um, you al- allow them in your Judiciary Committee to offer amendments. They are substantive amendments. We're not talking about marginal things. And, and Senator Britt, um, that isn't always the way the General Assembly works. It's usually along party lines. The, the party in control con- controls the process and the bill. And this goes back, by the way, to when Democrats ran the General Assembly. Can, can you talk, just kind of give us a peek behind what, how you think about this? Because it is, it is different, right? It's remarkable. Right. No, no, absolutely. And, and it is something that did not happen in the past. The way I see it is this. If it's an amendment that uh, I agree with and that the stakeholders can agree with and that someone wants to run, rather they're Democrat or Republican, if it's a good idea, it's a good idea, right? Um, uh, I think, personally, Republicans have more good ideas than, than Democrats do. But okay. sometimes Democrats have good ideas, too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's smart for us to be willing to consider those. And it also gives those Democrat members who are making that amendment involvement and buy-in and association with not only the process but that particular legislation. And when that uh, amendment is allowed, when their piece, their idea is allowed to be part of that legislation, then from a practical standpoint, they're going to be a lot more likely to support that legislation moving forward because they've now been involved in the process. So it also helps to move your bill forward because that's one less person on the floor that's going to have a problem with it. Last biennium, you worked with Representative Chaz Beasley, Democrat, down in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County area. You publicly praised him. Have you ever been burned by working with Democrats? I wouldn't say I've been burned, but I will say there are some Democrats that... Um, they seem to take to Twitter more to talk about the legislation rather than working through what the problems with the legislation are. Um, We've got one member, Senator Jeff Jackson, that he is awesome on Twitter, okay? And he's got a great Twitter following. And I'm certain that in his run for U.S. Senate, a lot of folks will look at Twitter and be like, wow, this guy's talking about doing a whole lot of stuff. But there's also ways to look and see what people have actually done versus talked about. And you know, I'm not one to file bills as place markers. I'm not one to run and do press conferences. Uh, I did do a press conference this morning on 300 that the House coordinated. But for the most part, I run bills whenever I think it's a good idea to do it. Um, I'm not even the one that coordinated the press conference when we did Second Chance Act or any of the victims' rights bills that we did last time because I just didn't see the need to do the press conference. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the need to put it on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't think I've Facebooked or Twitted or whatever you call it or Instagrammed mm-hmm. uh, about Senate Bill 300 yet. Um, I'm certain that once it passes, Senator Jackson will tweet about all the hard work he did. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, you have folks like uh, Senator Muhammad who is really working and passionate about this legislation and about other pieces of legislation that he's working on, not just that he's talking about. You had folks like Representative Beasley that worked on legislation 
didn't just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's extremely important that the public knows and is aware and is able to look and see and research these candidates that are running for office that they look real good on social media, but in real life, you got a different picture about what's actually being accomplished by this person. And, and the, the bill two years ago, it was around sexual assault, a lot of intimate things. And I remember you saying, you know, we need to, it's, it's difficult getting bills through the General Assembly period, but you wanted to lower the temperature, right? You wanted right. to kind of work quietly behind the scenes. And sometimes when you put it on Twitter, that just escalates everything, gets people freaked out. They start backing off. But you were able to overcome this. Right. And, you know, with that particular piece of legislation, um, Senator Jackson, for example, was overly critical about the folks that didn't want to run it, uh, how he's filed it so many times and people didn't want to do it, specifically the Republicans, specifically leadership, uh, which one wasn't the case, um, obviously, or else we wouldn't have been able to get this legislation through. Uh, It's just the method and the approach of working across the aisle that he speaks so much about on Twitter is not happening uh, or wasn't happening uh, with him on that legislation. We ask everyone who comes to this table this question, if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our political system today that has contributed to partisanship, what would that one thing be? An unlimited pot of money to uh, help with mental health. Okay, wow. that's a great Which would answer. be almost all-encompassing of so many different things that we deal with um, and would help law enforcement would help health care. So that would be my use for my magic wand, without a doubt. Absolutely. You're right about that. Our prisons would probably be less crowded. That's right. Well, Senator Danny Britt, it's an honor to have you at this table. We appreciate everything you do for your district, for North Carolina. You certainly, sir, know how to do politics better. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Scott, I actually think we could do a whole podcast series on <laughs> Senator Danny Britt. What what an interesting guy. Yeah, after we taped the podcast with him yesterday, Brian was going on and on saying we could have we could have this whole podcast about him. We could take call-in questions. Brian was just so enamored by him <laughs> that he wanted to keep going after we spoke with him. It's a great podcast idea. So it's called uh, I Know Danny Earl Britt. Um, We tell stories of our interactions with Senator Britt. And then callers call in and say, yeah, I had an interaction with Senator Britt. And this is my story. I think it's... it's, You could somehow tie in that documentary about Michael Jordan's dad. That. There is the Bladen County Improvement Association. We could talk about that. Even though he doesn't represent Bladen County, it's down in that area. Uh, we could talk about Robeson County. Just We get in- it. You're in love with him. Gosh. <laughs> I, I have to admit this. After he won his first race, you know, we've seen this, right? A, there, a, a legislator picks up a seat. We call them renters. They're kind of there for one session, and then it, the electorate comes back home to, to how it usually votes. And I, I saw him win the race. I was like, okay, he came in, but he's probably not here very long. And year after year, he wins re-election. Even his Democratic colleagues on the Senate side like this guy. They, uh, they would like to get the seat. They would like to beat him just to have a Democrat in that seat. But I think... Every Democrat that works with him 
would say that they need him in that caucus. He has really moved that caucus, especially on criminal justice reform. Yeah. A lot of the Democrats that we've interviewed here, we ask them who they like the best on the other side of the aisle, and it's a consensus that folks like him because he works with them so well. Sometimes I wish our podcast was videoed, though, because one of my favorite parts of yesterday is that as we talked to Senator Britt, he was drinking a protein shake. (laughs) (laughs) In other news, there was some confusion this week because of the over on the state capitol grounds, right? Right. So I think it was Monday morning I asked you, what is going on that they're filming downtown? There are all of these trailers everywhere. And first, Brian spent a good amount of the day trying to convince me it was a documentary or a film about Speaker Moore's life. Yeah, a lifetime special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He but, gr- yeah. He grows Christmas trees down in Cleveland County. Small town boy, comes to the big city. Yeah, as he says, he's just a country lawyer. Just a country lawyer, and he falls in love with a big city girl. Were they not making this movie? I don't even know what the movie was about, but yesterday, so Tuesday, there, when you looked down the mall, you saw that the Tennessee flag was flying over our capital, and there were tons of jokes to be made on Twitter, And a lot of discussion about whether Tennessee had invaded North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And some folks saying, you know, gas shortage, one. Two, Bojangles shortage. And now Tennessee's taken over. It's gone in the shitter. (laughs) Speaking of gas shortage, I didn't know if I was going to get to work yesterday. You texted me saying you had been to multiple gas stations and weren't able to get any gas, and I thought I was going to have to come get you. Yeah, so Monday night, I, I leave the office. It was it was a late night at the General Assembly. Despite me telling you Monday afternoon you needed gas. Yeah, I had about 10 miles. For the record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got home, and I thought, well, I'll just fill up in the morning. I had less Classic than, mistake. Classic mistake. I get up. We have, we're recording with Senator Britt need to be at the office, 9 a.m., and I go to one gas station, no gas. Go to the next gas station, no gas. Finally found a gas station. I had like two miles left, according to the little computer in my car. And I filled up on premium, and I have a full tank of gas, but I was sweating it yesterday. We need this pipeline to get back online. Today in Senate rules, the discussion primarily among lobbyists, legislators, was did you try to get gas yesterday? It was just everyone talking about where you could get gas. My secretary at the Coalition Against Sexual Assault sent out an email with like just coordinates for somewhere to go get gas. It is top of mind for everyone. You know, so if we don't come back online soon, I'm thinking that session next week could be in jeopardy, right? I mean, we have legislators that drive six hours to get here. Uh, this this could this could get a crisis. So so whether we have session or or not next week is dependent upon whether the Colonial Gas Line comes back. Some folks may not be able to get home this weekend. I know that. I think as of this morning, it was like sixty-five or seventy percent of Raleigh gas stations don't have gas. Yeah. And legislators really want to get home after this week. What can we expect next week? 
crossover will be behind us, all these policy bills. What's happening next week? I do think that there is expected to be agreement on how much money the state will spend in the budget between the House and the Senate that is expected to come next week. And generally, that's your first step in rolling the budget process along, having that spending agreement before the Senate releases their budget. So the House will leave town on Thursday, and we heard that uh, they were going to take off Monday and Tuesday. I think so. We get back in it, and it's it, it'll be just a focus on the budget. It's not to say they're not going to have session. They're going to have session, and they're still going to pass policy bills. But we're going to start seeing more negotiations, not only on the budget, but you're going to see House members going over to the Senate, advocating for their bills, trying to get their bills heard, presenting their bills in that chamber. And you'll see senators coming over to the House getting back to normal and then escalating up through June and July when we expect a budget. That's right. Well, that is our podcast for this week. And join us next week on Do You Know Danny Prince? (laughs) That's right. It's going to be fun. We're looking for advertisers. If you know Danny Britt, we want you to call us with your Danny Britt stories. Take the time to rate and review and leave a comment. Help listeners find this podcast. We hope you have a great weekend and a great week ahead. And remember to do politics better. I never dirty any glasses. I bet you hate it when people drink out of your glasses at home. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you know me. (laughs) Bring your own glass.